Two is better than one. There we go. That's even biblical, right? Today, I'll tell you a little testimony about my own life and facing some temptation. And I think you'll have maybe a similar experience. And we want to walk through verses 8 through 19. So here Solomon wants to lay out to his son what it's going to be like as he is walking the path of life. Uh, He's going to face opportunities to go and engage in behavior that's foolish. We didn't really point this out super clearly last night, and so I want to make a point really quick that folly isn't just bad decision-making, but it's sinful. So you can make a bad decision ignorantly, and you can make a strategic decision according to the world, but it can be sin. So every time you see wisdom and folly, remember to associate that with living a righteous path, or walking a righteous path, and walking a sinful path. So you just want to keep that in your mind at all times, because we tend in our context to think wisdom is that financial savvy, or counting the costs, and doing the the smart move, and it's part of wisdom. But especially today, the folly they dig into isn't like making an unwise investment. It's walking a path of sin. And what we really want to pay attention to today is how does temptation try to reach out to you and persuade you to come on over? What's the way that temptation says, hey, this idea right here, man, this is a really, really good idea. You should do this. What does that look like? That's the way Solomon is going to try to help the son. So let's pray and we'll dive right in. Father, we love you. Pray, Father, that right now you would be with us today. I pray that your spirit would be uh, helping us to be convicted of the right things and be convinced of the right things as we walk through the the scriptures today. I pray, Father, that you would help us to think of the times that we've faced temptation and what that's been like what was persuasive, why we ended up obeying that tempting desire or not obeying it. And I pray, Father, that we would learn from Solomon today, Father, both as someone who is tempted and parents even or or friends who can help those who are being tempted themselves. Father, we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Verse 8, Proverbs chapter 1. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. It's really strong. It's emphatic. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. We'll let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, that's like the place of the, un, of the dead. So like we might say hell or heaven or like the afterlife. The idea is like where, where dead people go, okay? Irrespective of it's up or down, okay? It's where the dead people go. Like Sheol, let's swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will, fill our, we, uh, we will find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us. And we'll all have one purse. We'll all have one bank account. My son, do not walk 
in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. This is not like the tentative, uh, this is like, we're going, let's do this. Their, Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes the life of its possessor. My senior year of high school, I went to a public school, and if you've been in a public school, you know what this, maybe even if you haven't, you know this experience. Your senior year, there's generally a group of usually bros, not always, but who are like, let's have a kegger. And then they invite the whole senior class. And so for me, I just had to pay five bucks and I would get a steak and all the beer I could drink. And I didn't drink. I wasn't, I didn't do that. And it was weird. Like, none of them were my friends. Like, I never talked to any of this group of seniors. They were inviting everybody. And I didn't understand why they would even invite me. Like, I didn't know them. We never hung out. I'm pretty sure they made fun of me. I don't know. They're like, hey, Stearns, come on. Five bucks, steak, beer, whatever. And so my answer was, oh, they they don't know that I don't drink. I'll just tell them that, well, yeah, I actually don't drink, so no thanks. Oh, that's fine. You don't have to drink. Come, come eat the steak, hang out, have fun. It'll be fun. Oh, no. I, I don't think I want to. I just did not expect the guy to keep asking me to come to the kegger. Like, he was persistent. I'm like, why do you want me to? I don't want to go to this. And, I, you know, I'm like naive. I'm a little bit of the simpleton here. And so I, like, made up some lie probably, or I don't know. I said something, and I didn't end up going, okay? But what was his appeal? His appeal was cheap steak and a lot of fun. And it'll be somewhere where we'll be out in the middle of nowhere. We won't be causing any problems. We'll just, we'll just have a good time, right? Now, I didn't go, but for a moment I was like, well, I guess maybe if I didn't drink, okay. But I decided not to go. Now, not for the reasons we're about to see today, but I'm so glad I didn't because things that went down at this beer party were not good. And if you've had any exposure to people who drink mass quantities of alcohol, I don't know that I've ever thought of a time where a bunch of people get together and drink a whole bunch of beer and then really awesome things happen. Generally, it's like, yeah, that guy wrecked his car, or this dude jumped off something and like broke his arm and didn't even know it was broken. He's swinging, you know, like, what are you, you know, like, I just, it doesn't sound like the smart move. So I don't know, my friends and I probably did something else. But the way he appealed to me was the same way that this gang of youth or friends or whatever you want to call it is going to appeal to the son in Proverbs chapter 1, 8 through 19. Today, what we want to do is look at how does that appeal take place, and then what does the father say to the son to prevent that? Now, this is really applicable. If you're a parent, and you're raising a child, and you know this is going to happen, what are you going to say when their friends are saying, hey, let's go whatever, pick, pick, your, pick whatever it is. I don't want to say one thing, or I have to say all the things, because I want you to think creatively. 
But it could be something really bad, like we're going to go to a rave, and we're going to get blitzed, and all the ecstasy, or whatever, whatever. Or it could be like, we're going to go sneak out of the house and play video games and not tell our parents and then come back home. And You know, okay, what's happening over here? What's, they're different things, but there's a similarity to the way that appeal is going to look. So if you're a parent, that's going to be really important to you. But if you have a friend, maybe a Christian friend, who you see them starting to kind of, remember Pastor Phil talked about the paths, and they were on the right path, and then they start to kind of look over in this direction. They're not too far off the path. And you kind of wonder if they're starting to veer. This will help you understand how to approach your friend to help to restore them back, to bring them back onto the right path. And then the last way I think this is very relevant is for yourself. We all have that designer lust in our heart. Now, why do I say designer? There's a book by a guy named Jim Berg called Change Into His Image, and it's all about Christian growth. And in it, he talks about each one of us has our own sinful heart that desires our own special wrong things that we shouldn't have. So for me, I really, really, I mean, I really like donuts. Like one of my favorite nights at family camp, if you've, this is your first time, <laughs> donut night, so good. They literally, they take this donut dough and they like smash roll it in sugar. After the, it's, it's just, it's, it's like getting diabetes instant. It's so good. Okay, but I got to be careful. If I eat too many donuts, my blood pressure goes through the roof. I get really heavy. I get super lethargic. And so that's unhealthy for me. Now, when I look at that donut, I'm like, ooh, that's a good donut. Is it sin to eat a donut? No. But if it's making you unhealthy and you want to use your body as a temple to serve the Lord, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be eating that. But the appeal of that little donut, that little inconsequential little thing in your life, maybe you don't like donuts. I love them. My wife hates donuts. She's not a big donut. There are good donuts that she'll like, but she doesn't really like that. But I like donuts. What do you like? And maybe it's donuts. Maybe it's porn. It could be anything. And it might be your thing. Maybe it's being in control of other people's lives. Maybe it's not being told what to do. Maybe it's you like the five-finger discount when you go to the store. You know, you like to get an extra candy bar and no one knows. I don't know what the thing is that tempts you, but I guarantee you the way it appeals to your heart is exactly the way it's described in this text because this is how temptation works. Now, don't you want to understand, like, how does Solomon teach the son here to not do that, to not give in to that? Let's look. First, we're going to see... The parents exhortate. We're going to walk through this in a more of an outline fashion. So we're, we're just going to say this is what happens, then this is what happens, this is what happens. So it's not going to be like commands or appeals to you. So first we're just going to look at it. What do the parents exhort their son to do? What are they going to exhort? And the first thing we're going to notice is that the appeal comes from both mom and dad. Now, this is a book. Solomon wrote it, and he's primarily writing it to the son, but it includes the mom. So look at, look at verse 8. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And then he doesn't leave it at that, as though mom doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what she thinks. Just listen to dad. He says, And don't forsake your mother's teaching. This is really helpful. 
if I say, hey, make sure you hear the instructions that we give for you know, donut night or whatever, you could, okay, yeah, I heard them. Yep, I heard them, okay. But notice he doesn't repeat here again for the mom. He doesn't say, and also hear what your mother tells you to do. What does he say? It's a negative command. It's don't forsake. If I say forsake, what do you think of? You can actually yell it out if you want to. You don't have to. What's that? Leave. Yes, what? Reject. Okay, that's good. Leave and reject. Yeah. If, I, if I'm leaving the house one day and I'm like, bye, Robin, I'm going to forsake you. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But that's for a time, I'm kind of leaving and going away. Now, forsake is a little stronger. That's like in a total sense. But, it, but it, if I say, hey, make sure you hear the instructions, I don't just want you to, oh, yeah, I heard them. The idea is that, are you going to follow them? And that's what the dad is saying here. That's what Solomon's saying. Son, listen. And don't just listen like when you hear something. Listen, pay attention, and obey it. If mom says something, listen to her. If I say something, listen to me. We have wisdom, and you need this wisdom. Now, immediately, a thought should come into your mind. Do you listen to your parents? Now, for some of you, you're, you are the parent, but you still have parents. Did you listen back then? Do you have authorities in your life that you're listening to that are wise and godly and you ought to be paying attention to? People who have parents in the room that you should be obeying, are you listening to your parents? If you're not, that's where this whole thing unravels. Solomon says, look, mom and dad, we know this. We're trying to help you. Been there, done that is behind everything they're saying, along with a dose of God's wisdom. Are you going to listen, son? And the call is for all of us. Will you listen to godly counsel? If you won't, that's like the picture of the fool. Next, he makes his argument. Son, you shouldn't go down the path of sin. Why? Because there's some benefits. So he says, if you listen to your parents, verse 9, they are a, their, their teaching is a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Man, I tell you what, when I go to the store, when I go to Kohl's to buy a new polo, I always stop by the garland section. I love, I mean, the, the, the leaves, I like oak garlands, and I like sycamore garlands. I mean, any little leafy thing that makes me look like a Greek who just won an Olympic game, oh, that's like totally my jam, you know? Yeah, okay, no, we don't wear garlands, right? But what was the point of a garland back in that day? It's like a, it's like a medal. Like you win an event, hey, check it out. And you don't put a garland on and then put a hat over it so no one can see it. If you just destroyed a world record, you wear the medal. Or if you're like a certain person who has like 16 of them, you wear them all at the same time. Why? Because the point is that medal is saying something about you. Look how good you did. It's the same thing when he says, and it's a necklace for around your neck or a pendant. There's some historical stuff here where this might have meant an allegiance to a king or a country or a nationality. But I just think of it like this. If you get a necklace, you generally wear it outside as a decoration to look good. Now, some of you have those special necklaces that you wear under, you never like take them off, or it's like a, a special thing like that. But generally, here the idea is you wear it to adorn yourself. Why would mom and dad's teaching look like a, a garland or a pendant? 
The reason is, as you live obeying wisdom, your life will communicate that wisdom to everyone around you. So basically, if you follow God's word and follow his admonitions, even when it seems silly and a waste of time, your life will end up functioning like the victor's wreath or the gold medal. People will say, oh man, that person's wise. Look at how they've been living their life. It's talking about your reputation. So how does he appeal? He appeals to his son, do you want a good reputation? Do you want a good name for yourself? Listen to wisdom from mom and dad. Listen to us. Don't forsake our teaching. Reputation is one of those things that you can't really control it. It kind of just oozes out of you. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to like do certain It's just it, it follows you. And it's also something that you don't get right now. You get it later. So maybe I've been totally irresponsible and I am habitually late. That's actually not that far from the truth. I'm a little bit of a late person. I can say, hey, I'm going to start trying to be on time. And I've actually done this. And I'll be on time for like whatever it is that I'm going to like 10 times. And I'll point that out to my better half. And okay, that's good. But I, what do I got behind me? 50, 100, 200 times of not being on time. So what do you got? You got to go for the long haul. And that's behind this. Solomon's saying, son, this is not a one-time thing. This needs to be a pattern of your life. And he's going to get into that also on the negative instruction. So the benefit is if you'll listen to this stuff, your reputation will actually improve. People will think differently about you. Now, the dilemma that the, the, the son is about to face, and this is the dilemma we all face, is who are we going to listen to? So look what he says, verse 10. My son, if a sinner entices you, don't consent. Don't give in. Don't say, okay, that sounds fine. These people are probably trying to be pretty persuasive. They're, you know, hey, hey, they're, they're going to appeal, and they're going to not, it's not like they're just going to ask once and okay. And that's what I think was weird about me when I got invited to this kegger. Why, why do they care? Why do they, why do they want me to go so bad? I didn't know. But they were persistent. Ask yourself this question. When's the last time someone was doing something sinful around you and they turned to you and said, hey, what I'm doing is actually really bad. Don't do it. Has that ever happened? I, it happened to me one time. I worked with this guy, and uh, he's, he had some habitual practices that weren't the best. And uh, he knew it. And uh, he was giving me advice that was totally hypocritical. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I mean, I don't know. I had a, a really not physically fit gym teacher one year, and it was ironic because, you know, they're instructing us to be healthy. And, and, you know, there's like that ethos or like reputation. So here's this guy I'm working with. And the thing he's telling me to do, he never does. And I think, I don't know, maybe I wasn't hiding it very well on my 17-year-old face. You know, probably like that. And he's like, hey, Stearns, do as I say, not as I do. Has that ever persuaded anybody to do that? No, it doesn't. Now, generally, it's the opposite. Hey, you want to go? You want to go? Let's go. Let's go. We'll do this. It'll be great. And you say no, and it's offensive. Have you ever had that happen? Someone's inviting you to go to something or do something you shouldn't do, and you say no, and they're like mad at you. Why not? This is beside the point of the lesson, but I think it's because you saying no is actually 
turning on something inside of them called the conscience. And they know they shouldn't do it. If you want to know more about that, read Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. People all know that they shouldn't be doing wrong things. They actually know what the wrong things are. And they give not just approval, they give hearty approval when you go along with them. Which means if you don't approve and you don't go along with them, they're probably going to be ticked. Why? I think it's because they are convicted that they should not be doing that because we all have the knowledge of good and evil. We don't need to be taught that. We need to be reminded of it and critiqued in God's word to change from that. I digress. So here the question is, uh, verse 10, my son, if a sinner entices you, don't, in, don't consent. Don't consent. And so the dilemma here that the, the son has to face is, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to my peers or am I going to listen to my parents? And when I'm saying listen, I can audibly listen to both. But the question is, who am I going to follow? Who will I obey? So remember, listen in the book of Proverbs is never just auditorially, I heard it in my eardrum. It's who are you going to obey? Who are you going to follow? Who is going to be the lead teaching you how to live your life? Will it be your peers who are fools and living in sin? Or will it be the wise, godly counselors, often your mom and dad, but sometimes your pastor, sometimes an older, wiser Christian who has that reputation, has that garland and medal? The, the Christians in your church, if you attend a church who have been walking with the Lord for 30 plus years, those are the people you need to turn to for advice. The Christian who knows their Bible well and can tell you why they do things from the Word of God, those are the people we need to be listening to. The people who are all excited about whatever fun thing, is it questionable? I mean, it's probably okay. So ask yourself this. Who are the voices in your life that don't have a handle on God's Word, and yet you've been following them? It doesn't mean that you've been on an axe-murdering spree or you lead an entire drug cartel. Maybe it's something else. Cheating on your taxes. Clocking in 10 minutes early and not actually working. What, whatever the thing is that you know you shouldn't do it, but you do it because everyone else does. For me in high school, it was cheating on quizzes. I don't know if you, anyone in public high school probably knows this. Desk here... Neighbor here, I never do my homework. Teacher turns around. And a lot of times they're like, it's like, it's like a game. Like how many people can learn it and then how many other people can copy. Copy was the word we gave for it. I knew it was cheating. And it didn't happen until I got to Bible college and I cheated on a verse quiz where I had to memorize a verse and I copied off my neighbor. I'm a freshman. I've never experienced conviction like that. I had to go to the teacher and Dr. Newman, I cheated and I thought I was going to get kicked out of school. And he's like, okay. So we like worked through that. And yeah, those of you who know Dr. Newman, okay. Thank you for coming to me. Let's, let's meet about this and talk about it. And it was great. He, he helped me to understand confession, repentance, turning. I, I lost points on the assignment. I didn't get kicked out of school. It was awesome. But I'd never been convicted about cheating like that. Why? Well, I wasn't listening to godly counselors. So that's the question is, in your life, what is the temptation that's calling your voice? Hey, over here. This, right over here. This will be good. What is it? Is it on the computer? Is it on the phone in your pocket? Is it 
the street you drive down on your way to work where you can make that quick stop? Is it the friend who you know is not the influence you need in your life right now because you're not strong enough to be an influence in theirs, but you really want companionship? What is it? Are you going to listen to wisdom? Are you going to follow this or your peers? That's the question. And that's how temptation works. It's never going to agree with someone wise. It's never going to be like, hey, your pastor said this, let's do that. That's never how it's going to be. It's always going to be something else. Let's look at the gang's invitation. I know to call them a gang, a group, a crew, the bros, I don't know. It's, it's the sinful group, okay? So we'll call them a gang, okay? The gang of hooligans, maybe. I like that. The hooligans, all right? I know it's kind of a, we don't really use that word anymore, but it's a fun word to say. For this section, ask yourself, what are they actually saying? Because this is a poetic, poetic, it's like poetry in the Bible, so it's, it's being a little bit um, terse in how it explains it. It's being a little bit contrary and, and vivid. But what's actually being described here? Because this is actually not an un, unusual situation. It's actually pretty kind of normal, not normal, but like it's happened before. He says this, they say, <clears throat> if, the father says, if, okay, let's say, son, if these guys come up to you and they say this, now, by the way, that's a really good tip. If you're dealing with someone who's going to be tempted, don't, saying, hey, don't do that, is, you got to do that. But help them to think through, think, okay? What would you do in that scenario? Okay, so son, let's say you're at school and the guy says, hey, come to the kegger. How would you respond? Like, what would you say to them? That's maybe a good way to approach this. Because sometimes you just need to think this stuff out ahead of time. But Solomon's actually going to go a different way. He's going to say, hey, if they say to you, and he's going to lay out what that looks like. If they say to you, come with us, so you got to go with these people. Let us lie in wait for happy good times. Oh, is that not what your Bible translation says? Oh, blood. These are not a group of people from Transylvania, Okay. These are not vampires who are like, let's go to the blood bank and have a good time. When they say blood, what are they talking about? Murder. They're literally going to go kill people. When's the last time that was a sales pitch? Hey, this is going to be fun. Let's go murder people. That's not usually how it gets presented, but sometimes that's what you need to do. You need to call it like it is. Like They're probably going to say, hey, let's go get some cash but they're not going to talk about, hey, we might accidentally murder someone, or maybe we will murder someone. Their plan is actually to murder people. So at the outset, they're going to ask, hey, do you want to murder people? Um, I was actually in jury duty about a decade ago. Anyone ever do jury duty? Okay, some of you have had that joy? I don't know. It was interesting to see the process, but I got stuck on a murder trial. It was grisly. I've never experienced it. I'm not going to... If you're queasy, plug your ears. I'll be very gentle, but... It was a group of guys who were at a party. They were drunk and high. Again, I refer to my earlier comment about drinking large quantities of alcohol and things. This is not the, the way to make wise decisions. And they said, hey, let's go out and beat people up. They had this game where they would call out, like they'd drive down the street, and if they saw someone, they'd yell, some like Mark or the target or whatever, and they would get out, run over, beat them up, take their stuff, and leave. And that was like fun for them. And so this group, they... they found this guy on a bike who was high on weed at 2 in the morning. They beat him up and took his bike. And they found another person that was, like, getting out of their car. And thankfully, the mom and her baby got into the house before they got there, and they just trashed the car. And then they found a guy 
Another guy, and I, he had a cell phone. They beat him up and took his cell phone. Well, the guy on the bike who was high on weed, uh, the one guy was like so doped up. He was just really getting into it. And you ever have like someone, like everyone's like doing something funny, and then someone goes like way over the line. You know, you're like throwing a ball at a wall or something, and you're trying to bounce it off. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. And he picks up a rock and just chucks it through a window. Ah! And everyone's like, whoa, buddy, what are you doing? Well, Sadly, this guy's over the line was to pull a knife and stab the guy. And he happened to stab him right here going up. And so he got right into his chest cavity. And uh, I won't, I'll spare you the details, but I had to watch, look at pictures of that, and I had to see like the long trail where the guy had been crawling. It was just grisly. None of the guys who went out and thought they were going to go beat people up thought, hey, let's go kill someone. But it happened because there are certain actions that just go together. You're drunk, you're high, your aim is to beat people up. You shouldn't be surprised if someone gets murdered. There are crimes, there are activities that are, uh, that are not allowed by the word of God that we are told this is not the way to live. And sometimes you go in for that and you get more than you bargained for. And it's not like getting an extra supersized meal. Okay, it's not a good thing. It's way bad. And here, they're actually saying, let's go murder people. And so sometimes saying it like it is, is helpful. That is a temptation to go murder people. No one would agree to that, but hey, let's go beat people up and take their stuff. Okay. Sometimes just naming the sin is important. So here, blood. Let's go lie in wait for blood. I doubt they're selling it that way. But I think they are, because look at what happens. They say, like Sheol, let's swallow them alive. And a hole, like those who go down to the pit. So they're actually being super open. Let's go kill people. That seems odd. I mean, security cameras everywhere, GPS on our phones, like everyone sees everything. How are you going to do this and not get caught? Oh, this is 900 BC. That's right. No streetlights. No security cameras. At dark, people go inside because it's not safe. So look at the rest of their plan. We will find precious goods and we will fill our houses with plunder. What did they say back in 11? Let's lie and wait for their blood. This is the picture. There's the town a mile that way. There's the next town a mile that way. Some poor merchant or traveler, is he left too late to go from town A to town B. And it's nightfall and it's getting dark and he's still got a mile to go and he's traveling with his horse and all his goods, and maybe he's alone, maybe he's got a friend with him, and it's dark, and there's no streetlights, and he doesn't have a torch. Hide in the bushes. When he comes by, we'll jump him, beat him up, kill him, put his body on the side of the road, and take all his stuff. And who's going to ever find out? How would you find that out? There's no security cameras. There's no witnesses, because you kill the guy, and you can take all his stuff. So this is probably a lucrative, this is literally, literally, Highway robbery. Like, we joke about that. We're like, well, it's not like highway robbery. This is because it is. And so that's their plan. Let's go steal stuff. Let's go be pirates on the land, okay? Let's do that. It'll be great. Now, what's it going to cost? What's the... Oh, I think I've totally missed my PowerPoint here. There we go. The plan is ambush. The tactic is murder. The aim is robbery. What's the entrance fee? I'm sorry, I'll let you write that down. What's the entrance fee? Just give us your money and we'll put all of our money in a common purse. We'll just have one bank account. Won't that be great? Now, if you're married, you should have a joint bank account. I'm not saying that. But if you've got a bunch of friends and they're not the most upstanding people, it's not wise to say, here's all my money 
and let's all make a decision together how we use that. Now, the, probably the way they're gonna sell this is, who cares, we're gonna make so much money, you're gonna have all the money you ever need. It'll be no problem, not a big deal at all. But you gotta give them all your money to get in. How do you know they're not gonna steal your money? Well, you trust them, right? Because it's not like they're thieves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but the, you know them, right? You kinda know they're your friends. They're, uh, see, th this doesn't work. The more you think about it, the more you stop and say, what is actually happening? You go, oh, that, that doesn't make any sense. This happens commonly. There was a ministry I was involved in, and it was a camp. It was out east. It was not nearly as good as this one. And I was one of the guys who went to each cabin to check for contraband. And like one time, no kidding, this guy brought a 12-pack of NyQuil. Why would a camper bring a 12-pack of NyQuil? Because he thought he would get drunk on it. He's going to get really decongested and sleepy. I don't think he's going to get drunk on the, like, whatever alcohol is in there. He had that. He had a hay hook. Like, you know, you grab him, and it's like one jig, big, long spike. And he had a mask from that horror movie back in the day where it was like a ghost face. He's going to run around with a hay hook. What are you doing, kid? He had a paintball gun. I mean, this is like, what are you doing? Anyway, so we had to take all that stuff. He did not understand why. I don't know. All the counselors got a free bottle of NyQuil that year. That was fine. Um, but you don't get it, man, no. And, you're, and that's not bright. I mean, all this stuff in night. Anyways, okay. So we get to the next cabin, and this one dude had brought a cane. And you know the canes you give someone when they're really old that have, like, the horn and the blinker and all that when they turn, like, 50 or whatever? Well, it was like you had had one of those, oh, sorry, 60, 70, I don't know, whatever. I just turned 40. Maybe it's 40, okay? I turned 40 in April. I had my 11th, 29th birthday. I got, okay. So you give someone a cane to say, hey, you're an old person or whatever. But they had stripped everything off, and they'd put a rear-view mirror at the bottom, like a side mirror, and it was facing up. Now, this is an, a horrible thing. And so I'm like, you can't have that. And he's like, what? <laughs> it's just nothing. And do you know how I approached it with him? I just said, that is for looking up women's dresses. And the entire cabin was like, cringe. Now, what did I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be inappropriate, but what happened is I said, this is what you're planning to do, and I just said it unadorned, unsugarcoated. I just called it, that's a sin, and you want to do this. And everyone got totally squeamish, and the guy's like beat red, and all his bros are like. All I had to do was call the sin what it was without decorating it. Now, what are these guys doing probably to Solomon's son or the son that's being talked to? They're saying, this will be great. Look at how much fun they're decorating highway robbery and murder. If I came up to you and said, do you want to lie in wait and we'll kill people and take their money and bury their bodies, is that a very good sales pitch? No, it's not because you know that's wrong. But if I said, hey, you want to make some quick cash? There's these people that drive, they're, they're not even good people. And one of them actually probably committed a crime. And we're just going to go take their stuff. We won't even hurt them. We'll just take their stuff. Well, I will knock them out. But it'll be fine. That's how temptation works. Whatever your temptation is that you face. It's not going to come up and be like, hey, you're going to commit mental adultery on this website. It's going to say, you're going to feel great. You're, that emptiness in your heart, your soul, that loneliness, it's going to go away and you're going to feel wonderful. It's midnight. Your blood pressure is through the roof. You have something obstructing one of your arteries. But that donut downstairs, 
will actually satisfy your soul. It will give you the meaning of life. And you're laughing. It's true, though. You, you say it like that, you're like, it's stupid. But at 12 midnight, that donut is calling my soul. <laughs> I can't say that seriously, can I? <laughs> yeah, you win some. <laughs> but really, think about it. That's what, pro- that's what temptation promises. All these good things. And it's not just you get some good things. It's actually, to step back a little, it's saying your life is not as good as it could be. You're actually pretty sad and dark and depressed, but if you had this, you would be happy. You would be satisfied. Life would finally be good. And it's a lie. That's how advertisers work. Here you are on this, this family's on a beach, and all the parents are fit. They all have perfectly white teeth. The children are totally obedient. They never make a peep, and they just throw a Frisbee happily. I don't know those children. You probably don't know those children. Those children only have, get theirs, take a lot of work to get there. They're all happy, and what are they doing? And then they're like, pizza on the beach. Grillable pizza, whatever the thing is. You're like, grillable, or, or smokes. Ah, they're smoking or whatever. Oh, they're drinking. Like, whatever the thing is that literally has nothing to do with a kid throwing a Frisbee. But they tie it up there, and what are they doing? They're not saying this drink or this smoke or this weird pizza or whatever the thing is they're selling you. They're not saying that's going to give you happiness. They're showing you the good life. If you just had this, then your life would be good. How does temptation operate? It operates on discontentment. If you think about the thing that tempts you, you'll probably find an area in your heart that you're not content. And you'll probably find a place that you would, if really pressed to think about it, would say, why didn't God make my life different here? Usually discontent has something to do with what you think about God. So what are these people doing? Hey, Solomon's son, or hey, the son in general. This is probably, I said this last night, this might just be Solomon's advice to all sons. It may not be his particular son. So sons... When temptation comes and says, if you just had this, it'd be great. Don't do it. So look at how he responds. Look at the way he warns him. This is the father's warning to his son. First of all, now this is where take notes. Do this for yourself if you're in temptation, if you're in the throes of the temptation. Do this for your friends if they're being tempted to walk down the path of sin. Or do this for your children if you have them and they're veering off the path. If someone else, you are in temptation, you go to them and they don't do this, find someone else. Because this is what you need. What's the first thing he says in verse 15? Son, don't walk in the way with them. Don't do that. Don't walk where they walk. Now again, this is not like, this is how they walk. So you should walk like this. Okay? It's a metaphor for your life. How do you live your life? That's the big deal here. It's not just this action he's he, he could say, don't do the action. He, he does. He says, don't do that. But he says, don't walk in the way with them. As in, don't pattern your lifestyle after their lifestyle. Don't pattern what you love and desire after the things they love and desire. Don't do it. So tell people that. Hey, don't do that. Urge them, exhort them, call them. I mean, sometimes people have just talked to a bunch of Christians and no one's ever really come out and said, don't do that. 
Now, don't be, let that be your only thing you say. You know, especially if it's a pernicious life-besetting sin they've dealt with for years. Well, just stop! That's bad advice. But you should call it wrong and say, don't do that. What's the next thing? He says, don't go in your way with them. Hold back your feet from their paths. Now he gives a reason. And sometimes we tell people, don't do that, and they say, why? And we're like, because. Yeah. And that's it. That works for one of my younger children right now. Some random question, well, just because. Oh, yeah. So if you're talking to a three-year-old, maybe for now until they can reason more. But if it's a 30-year-old, it's probably not going to help. So don't go their way. And and now he gives the reason in verse 16. Why? Because their feet run to what? The, The sinners have said, we'll get rich. We'll fill our houses with wealth. Basically, we'll have the good life. And what does he say? They're actually running to evil. They're running to sin. This is why when the kid brought the cane and I said, this is what you're going to do with it, he's like, because I called it evil. I didn't say, yeah, that's just a joke, but that's maybe not the best joke. I said, this is what you're doing with that. You got to be careful. You got to be careful who you're around. But to all those guys that work great. They make haste to what? Shed blood. Well, what's shed blood? That's murdering. That's one of the Ten Commandments. The children in Israel would have been like, oh, yeah, the whole point here is they're asking us to go murder people. For, now, and then he, so that's the reason is you shouldn't do it. What's the reason? Because it's sin. Like point out that this is sin for people. And now this is really interesting. Look at what he says. Verse 17, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. I mean, I'm not a bird hunter. Usually hunters nowadays don't use nets, right? We use guns. I don't know what else you use to hunt a bird. But back in the day, you, you put a net up somewhere where birds fly, right? And the bird's flying around, right into the net, and you catch them. This is how spider webs work. The bug doesn't see the web until it's too late, and then his guts are getting sucked out and all that. Sorry. We, not, no. we watched a nature show a while back, put out by a Christian organization, and it's this beautiful nature images and all of God's creation. And then there's this thing that, like, injects a frog with a thing that, like, eats its insides out and he drinks it. I was like, what are you, my kids? <laughs> Sorry. But hey, hey, this is it, okay? This is what happens, okay? So the bird, you know, gets caught. The, the, the bug and the spider web, okay? But if the bird is right there and like, hold on, there's a, there's a bird. Get the net. <laughs> you know the bird. Flies away the other way. It knows it's right here. Our bird's smart. When's the last time someone complimented you by saying, man, you're a bird brain. (laughs) Did you go to school for that? You must have your master's. Wow, bird brain, yeah. No, we actually use that to say you're an idiot. (laughs) Enter Solomon's comment. Verse 18, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Do you know what he's saying right here? Birds are more intelligent Sorry, I keep missing my PowerPoint. The analogy here is that there's a trap that's not hidden, and the point is these sinners are not as smart as a bird. They're less intelligent than a bird. Now, when you're concocting a plan to get a lot of things and do this awesome stuff, you don't really think about how stupid you're being. A situation, a friend of mine had this business. It was weird. 
you would get online and you would look at advertisements. This is like back in the early days of the Webernet. And you like click through all these ads. And then once you do, you, you like register your clicks. And then you have to invest money first. You have to put money into this investment. And then if you do that, you get like 1% back on your money because marketers want people to look at their ads or something. It was weird. And then every day you keep doing that and then you, you can build up this money. But you really get the money if you get someone to sign up under you. So like there's someone above you and someone under you. It's like an Egyptian thing. What, is the, what do those Egyptians build? Yeah, that's it, a pyramid. Yeah, it's like a weird pyramid thing. There's lots of multiple levels, but, it, but the thing is, is this one wasn't, you had to push this button that said purchase every time you did it. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa what, am I, what am I buying? And my friend said, oh, no, 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 that's just to make it legal. And, and then he, he realized what he said, he's like, ah. <laughs> and I, you know, me and my buddy who he's trying to sell this, I'm like, ah, that seems a little, if you have to do something to make it legal, that, does it mean it's not, no, no, it's not, it's not, it's not that, it's, you just, it's this thing, and it, all the, ah, that seems a little weird. Uh, and so, like, we didn't have a good reason. We just had this hesitation. We're like, now nah, we're not going to do it. He was like, actually offended at us. Three months later, the owner of the online things, uh, the Secret Service, bashed down his door, took all the computers out of his house, and put him in prison for running a Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi scheme is like Bernie Madoff. Like, you're literally just taking people's money and then giving it over and getting more people's money so that, like, the top of the pyramid gets the money, but the bottom never ends up getting it. It's illegal, by the way. Like, you can't run those in America. They're against the law. Now, how did you not see that? Like, you, if you have to click something to make it legal, maybe that's true, but I don't know. That seems pretty on the line for me. The whole point of this argument in verse 19 is that when you try to get unjust goods, when, you try to, when you're greedy for unjust gain, it takes away the life of the owners. Well, this seems like a bad idea. But when you're in the midst of giving into temptation, you're kind of being an idiot. I'm trying to make fun of you. I'm trying to make fun of myself, too. You get stupid. Uh, the president of the school I work at, Faith, he, he says, sin makes you stupid. And it's really true. You become stupider than a bird. You, you have less sense than a brain that's like about that big. Birds are not bright. But when you say yes to sin because you think it'll give you something to make you happy... You're actually being not as smart as a bird. And that's Solomon. Do you get that Solomon's almost ridiculing this guy a little? He's almost pointing out, like, look at how dumb this is. Now, when does it take away the life? Like, you engage in your highway robbery. When do you die? Is it the first time you rob someone on the highway? Probably not. You probably get the right guy. But you keep doing this, and eventually you're going to, rob a caravan that has about 15 trained soldiers, and guess what? They're not going to care that... They're not going to care about your life. They're just going to cut you in half and kill you. So sometimes the sinning doesn't happen until later. Um, I did know a, uh, a fellow student in my high school. I'm not trying to... I'm just trying to point out something. Uh, he was known to be the partier with his friends. And... Uh, he would often go and party. And he also had a Kawasaki Ninja. This is in 1997, back in the day, you know. But it's still a very fast motorcycle. And one day, after a party, he and a buddy went 85 miles an hour down a long hill road that levels out at the bottom, 25 mile an hour speed limit, and a minivan came out. And 
Reflexes are low, didn't see it in time, couldn't slow down, right into the back of the van, killed instantly. His buddy behind him shot over the van 60 feet, and as he went over, he clipped his shoulder on the top of the van, and when they found him, his shoulder was still connected by like a, flat, like a, a strand of flesh. When they set out to go to the party, they thought, it's going to be a good time, we'll meet some girls, it'll be great. And they did this habitually, and what happened? Literally, he died, and literally, his friend almost died. Temptation will never tell you that up front. It will give you the value lead. Hey, you'll get this. Hey, it'll be fun. What does Solomon do to combat that? He actually, it's genius. His genius is that he doesn't let his son or the son focus on the present. He says, where is this going in your future? Verse 19 says, such are the ways, or verse 18 says, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own soul. They think they're going to ambush someone else, but what's going to happen eventually? They're going to die. Someone, something is going to go wrong. The criminal, man, we watched an interesting documentary on the McDonald's game pieces. Did you hear about those Monopoly things? Those Monopoly pieces, it was totally rigged by this guy who was high up on making the pieces. We watched this whole thing, and it was so interesting. The criminals who would get involved, this one guy had been in prison for drugs, had got out, got put in prison again, got out. Two weeks later, he gets this opportunity to be involved in the scam. He jumps right back in, and eventually he gets caught, and it's like he's not learning. When you commit these crimes, eventually you get caught, and the bad things come. It's not right now. Like sometimes you warn someone, don't do that. You could, this could happen, and they do it, and it didn't happen. They're like, hey, that was fine. See, nothing happened. I'm okay. And they do it again. Ah, no big deal. But eventually it happens, and once it happens, you can't go back. You can't unmake it happen. That's actually what we're going to talk about tomorrow. What does Solomon do to help the son? Son, don't look at now. Look at then. What's going to happen in the future? So if you think about this, Maybe your, maybe your temptation is pornography. That's a pretty common one today, okay? And so you're on your computer and you're like, ooh, should I, should I do this? I guarantee you, you're not really thinking about the next day or the future day. You're not thinking about how this will wreck your career if this happens on company time. You're not thinking about if you're in ministry, how this is going to be a big problem. You probably get kicked out of ministry. You're not thinking about your marriage or your spouse or your children. You're not thinking about any of the repercussions of that sin. You're thinking right now and how this is going to be good for me. And what does Solomon do? He says, stop looking at that. What's going to happen then? You're going to die in this situation. Well, look at what, the, what it's actually promising. And will it actually deliver that? That's the nature of sin. Hey, you could be happy. You could have a good life. But you don't right now. But if you just do this, you'll be happy. Have you ever given in or given over or obeyed that temptation and it actually delivered? Think about that, for real. Whatever the thing is, whatever your sin is, have you ever given into it and later on thought, yeah, that actually worked. Whew, that was good. I'm actually fully, deeply satisfied and it's persisted for a while. Am I now actually have a better life? Has that ever happened? I'm just saying even one time, okay, 
Has it ever happened consistently? Has it ever actually made things better? Or did it just wreck stuff? Did it just destroy parts of your life? Did it just take away actual lives of people? Did it harm people around you? Your sin is never just your sin. It's always affecting other people. The guys in the gang who are asking the son to come with them. I mean, think about the poor guy who goes to his first party. He has like one beer in his hand. He hasn't even taken a sip. And the cops show up at that party. And now he's got a record. He didn't nearly do anything. He just went along with his friends. He didn't think he should, but he didn't want to like, be made fun of. And what happens? All is lost. But guess what? If he's at university and he gets kicked well, out, you're not going to get kicked out today for that. But You get kicked out of something and your parents helped you with them. Guess what? They're out all that money. You had a job you worked all this time for, and not only do you lose your job for something stupid, now your business looks bad. That story I told you about, the McDonald's thing, the advertising company, that that happened on their watch, completely got under. Like they were done, they shut down, everyone lost their jobs. People who did not do anything wrong lost their jobs because one dude at the top cheated. The printing company, the advertisement company, and there was something else I can't remember. They all lost their jobs. Why? Because one guy wanted to fix a system so he could make millions of dollars under the side of the table. Your sin never just affects you. It always affects people around you. But again, when you're sinning, who are you thinking about? You. And when are you thinking about? Now. Solomon is saying, look at the future. So the next time you're in the throes of temptation, number one, call someone. Say something. Ask someone for help. But number two, ask yourself, what is this thing going to promise me? And is it actually going to give me that? I I guarantee you it won't. Or if it does, it'll be momentary. What's the high cost of folly here? The high, oops, the high cost of folly here is, in this case, death. These people are going to go highway rob people, and Solomon is saying, son, you do that, you could die. I think that applies to drugs and drinking. I think that applies to a lot of illegal activity where you're places you shouldn't be that are unsafe. I mean, look at YouTube and all the people who are like walking on the edges of the building and you know, trying to get where they shouldn't. Sometimes you end up dying for those things. Other times you don't die, but you irreparably change your life. And that's just the nature of sin. The consequences are that bad. And those of you in the room who have felt those consequences, you know that I'm saying what I'm saying is true. You could tell stories to other people in this room. I did this, wrecked it, and I can't ever go back and change. What would you want? You would want everyone else in the room to know that, wouldn't you? You would want them to avoid what you did. But that only comes by looking at the future. Hey, what's that actually going to do? Verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. Do you fear having a slightly depressed life? Do you fear being a little bit bored? Do you fear not being super successful or maybe being a little insignificant? Do you fear your life not mattering or not being good at the end of it? If those are the things you fear, you will obey the temptations that promise to solve those fears. If you fear the Lord, that is to say, if you love him, the temptations take on a different look. 
It's like a net being spread right in front of a bird. Because you know where this is going. You're not going to do that. Yeah, the flesh is ever-present. It is. It's always with you. I think the secret of temptation is that it's never going to go away until we get to glory. But by fixing our eyes on God, by setting our mind on things above, by loving and fearing God, that is the solution to temptation. I want to make a book recommendation to help you. If, if you've never read this book that's on the screen, it's called The Screwtape Letters. It's by C.S. Lewis. This is really helpful for me when it came to temptation. Um, how, first of all, has anyone read it? You don't have to raise your hand if you're embarrassed of it. You shouldn't be, though. Okay, it's a really good book. I happen to like the author a lot. Um, he's got some wonky things, he thinks. But overall, he's, if you've read The Chronicles of Narnia, it's the same guy, C.S. Lewis. The Screwtape Letters is a weird name. He, he, he was thinking about temptation. And he, he wrote this about 70 years ago. And he's, he, he was thinking to himself, how does it work? Like, what do the demons think? Or what does Satan think? Or like, how does temptation play out? Like, what if I was a demon and I was trying to get people to sin? How would I do that? And so he literally thought through, how must sin be sold to us? Now, I don't know if there are really demons out there doing all this. I don't know. So don't take it like totally lock, stock, and barrel here. But it's set from an older, <laughs> older, more sinful demon uncle to his younger, more naive nephew, demon. And he's telling him, this is how you get humans to sin. This is how you should tempt them. Because we don't want the enemy to win. The enemy in the book, by the way, is always capitalized, and it refers to God, because this is all from the perspective of a demon. Well, he... He just he plays it out for like 31 different letters from the one demon to the other. Uh, the guy, you know, hey, you did bad. Hey, this, this guy should have sinned, but you let your guard down. You let him start thinking about it. You can't do that. You got to get him to just feel things and not think too much about it. All throughout, the demons don't want you to think too much. If you really thought about what you're doing, oh man, you might not do it. So just get it to rise to the level of desire or feeling and then shut it off and don't let it go any further. And just like tantalize them with the, the way it might make them. But don't let them think about the future. And it's really like taking what we're learning here and just teasing it out and what it looks like in real life. Uh, one of the quotes that I really enjoy is... There we go. Maybe. I just stand just right. Oh, you're not going to be able to read that. <laughs> I'll read it to you. Uh, the one demon, the older demon, is trying to get the younger demon to understand how to do this. And he says this, he says, you will doubt, or you will say that these are very small sins. He's talking about like getting the person to play cards or go do this or whatever, just waste his time. He says, you'll doubtless say these are small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report some spectacular wickedness. But, you, but do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. Enemy there is God, okay, because these are demons. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without any sudden turnings, without any milestones, without any signposts. I mean, that's what Solomon was just describing. Hey, let's go get rich. There's no sign here saying you're going to go down the path of murder. Now, they actually point that out, but Solomon's saying, look, that's what they're asking. 
Hey, you ever think of a time where you were walking with God and you just kind of veer? And one day you wake up and you're like, hey, I'm not really walking with God anymore. Were you thinking about it? Were you thinking about what these temptations are going to offer you? It might be a fun read. It's a story, so it's pretty easy to read. And it gets you thinking about how temptation works in your own life. Above all, remember that to fear God is the thing that makes temptation less appealing. It's still appealing, but you fear God, so you're not going to. You love God, so you're more concerned about God than you are about this. If your life is not good, knowing God is the thing that changes that. That's what we need to do. So, temptation. Ask yourself this question. What is the temptation that is always ever-present in your mind and your heart? Just take a moment and say, what is the thing? And remember, it's not always murder. It's not always pornography. Sometimes it's just wasting time or being gossipy or, or whatever. And he's not a fundamentalist when he's saying that card thing. He's you know playing cards and wasting all your time is all he's saying. It could be anything. Scrolling Facebook. For me... Um, I think of sins that aren't really sins or things that are inefficient. So I used to play a video game on my phone called Clash of Clans. Some of you are like, that's a dumb game. Uh, okay. And it was just like, a, you play it for like two minutes and you go back to what you're doing. And two minutes, it's nothing, it's nothing. Now this is before you, the phone tracked how long you played on certain apps. And I'm kind of maybe glad for that, maybe. But I was at Family Camp 1 in 2015. And the evening speaker was talking about there are things that are not sinful but are not beneficial. This is 1 Corinthians. There are things that are not sinful, but master you. And when I thought about it, I thought, man, this video game on my phone, if I just quit playing that, I'd probably have more time to read, more time for this. I'm always busy. How do I even have time for this? And so I had to delete it, and I had to not do that, and it was very hard. But I noticed after stopping, man, that thing was ruling my life. You ever have someone who comes up behind you and taps you on the shoulder while you're talking to someone else? And they don't stop? Are you getting a little anxious right now? Or like they come right up next to you and you can just feel them right here breathing. And you're like, ah. And you're trying to talk to this person and you finally like, yeah, do you need something? And it's totally rude. That was literally what this game on my phone was doing to me. Like every minute, I'm like, oh, can I, can, can I go clash for a minute? You know, and I'm playing it with other people I know, one of the other speakers, actually. Uh, <laughs> we were really good. I'm telling you, we're good at strategy games. But you know what that was? It's not murder. It's not porn. It's not drugs. Hey, Andy, your day would be that much better if you really could destroy that other castle. <laughs> See, I say it out loud, and you're like, why would you fall for that? If you're not content... There's a lot of substitutes you'll look for. Now, for me, I've decided I'm not going to play games on my phone anymore unless I'm in a group or something. And so I don't do that. But for me, that's what it was. What is it for you? Maybe it's not something sinful, but it's something that enslaves you. It besets you. It pulls you away from God. What is it? Get it in your mind right now and then ask, how is it selling itself to you? What is it promising? And has it ever truly delivered. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for the mercy that you show us every day. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to identify the kinds of sins that beset us and the kind of practices that, while may not be sinful, don't actually 
help us and actually drive us away from you. The things that are sourced in the flesh and not the spirit. Father, I pray that you would give us clarity today in realizing and identifying what those are in our own lives specifically. And then I pray that you would show us, help us to see how they persuade us, how they sell us on them, and if they have ever actually delivered what they promised. I pray, Father, that this exercise would be in line with what Solomon wanted to do for the Son, to serve the Son. I pray, Father, that would help us to have our eyes unveiled to the true nature of these temptations. Father, I pray for those of us who know people who are walking the path of temptation. Lord, as we seek to help them, I pray that this would be a model that we would use from time to time. I pray that we would point out how these things are offering what they can never truly deliver. And I pray, Father, we would be ever on guard, vigilantly on guard for the the discontentment that comes when we don't fear you and we don't love you and we love the things of the earth. Father, we love you. We pray that you would show us your grace today. In your son's name we pray, amen.